As time passes, things go obsolete. They're no longer relevant. They don't work. In this series, Pastor Fred Price Jr. reminds us that even in this modern age, faith still works. Let's jump in. We've been discussing faith. Our subject has been faith still works. And uh, in the beginning, we established some things. We established the kind of principle and law <clears throat> faith is because of what Hebrews 11.1 1 said and because of what Romans 8.8 8 said. I'm sorry, Hebrews 11.6 and Romans 8.8. 8. And when we looked at Hebrews 11.6, we saw that it said, uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then Romans told us that those in the flesh cannot please God. So those in faith can please God. Those in the flesh can't please God. So when I'm in the flesh... I'm not in faith. The Bible says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Uh, the Bible also tells us to keep our minds on things above or keep our minds on heavenly things. So um, I am in control. You know, I make the decision to walk in the spirit. But when I do that, I'm putting myself in a position to walk by faith and not by sight. Because I cannot operate in faith while I'm in the flesh. So faith is a law. It's a spiritual law. And laws can be broken, and when laws are broken, there will be consequences to pay. When we looked in Scripture, we saw how faith comes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But we also found something interesting in Hebrews. Uh, the writer was telling us that, you know, we heard the Word, and it benefited us. But some of you, you heard the Word. You did not mix what you heard with faith, and therefore did not profit you. And then... After discussing those things, we came to a conclusion on the definition of faith, which is acting on what you believe. It is more than just belief, but it is acting on what you believe. And when we look in the gospel, when we look at the life of Jesus and his dealings with people, one would have a desire, one would have a need. They would cry out, Lord, have mercy on us. They would come, they would do, they would act, they would speak. And Jesus would say, your faith has made you whole. Oh, you of great faith. When the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment, he felt power leave out of him. He said, woman, your faith has made you whole. So we see it was not just believing, but acting on what you believe. And we also saw a level of confidence, a level of confidence that came with individuals that would approach Jesus with their desire, their need, their petition. Uh, Jairus is a perfect, perfect example. He goes to Jesus and says, my daughter has, has just died, but if you lay your hands on her, she'll live. So for some strange reason, people had faith in Jesus Christ. They had an assurance and a confidence that he was able to do something for them. So faith, Bible faith, is acting on what you believe. We looked at a number of things, faith killers, uh, worry, unbelief, doubt, and fear. We established that our faith must be in the person of Jesus Christ, not in the wisdom of men. I must be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. My eyes must be fixated on Jesus, on God, on the word of God. Not on man, not on anything else, but on God. I told you to go to Romans chapter 5. Because I want to briefly go over something that we looked at. As a child of God, I have a right to be confident 
I have a right to be confident. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that I have been made the righteousness of God. For to him who knew no sin, for he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become God's righteousness. I am God's righteousness. I'm not trying to become righteous. I am righteous. And so because I am righteous, I have some benefits. And I don't have to have, uh, you know, fearing God, you know, doesn't mean I, I, I whisper and hide. You know, I can approach the throne of grace with boldness. Look here in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith. The Bible says I've been declared righteous by faith. All right, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I see there's no need to stress and there's no need to worry because I have peace. Then verse 2 says, through whom... Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access. Everyone say access. access. Say it one more time. Right. I have been given access. I've been given access to something. Now, verse 2 says, and I want you to notice something here. It says, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Now, 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 just stop right there. It says that we have access by faith into this grace. So it says I have access by something into something. Can you see that? But then it doesn't just stop there. It'd be okay if the scripture said, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace. That'd be fine. But as we continue to read, look what it says. <clears throat> through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So now notice that the verse says, I'm already standing in his grace. Now just think about it. What would be the point of having access into something you're already in? What does he say? Access by faith into this grace in which we stand. The, the, the scripture says we're already standing in his grace. But then it goes on to say that we have access by faith into it. Well, what's that about? I'm already in the grace. Well, some people <coughs> rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Some people believe that grace is simply for salvation and that's it. You know, for by grace we're saved. And that's where the grace of God stops. That's not where the grace of God stops. The grace of God is the unmerited favor of God. That, 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 that's another benefit. Because see, the Bible says, the Bible talks about in the book of Peter, that God's grace is manifold. And that word manifold means many colors, many textures. It's multifaceted. It's, it's, it doesn't just go in one direction. It goes in a multitude of directions. So God's grace covers a multitude of things. Not simply just salvation, but also that unmerited favor of God. When you get what you don't deserve. On paper, you don't deserve it, but you get it. Like salvation. We couldn't have done enough works to get salvation. See, that's how, that's how you know we're not saved by works because there's not enough we could do. But we're saved by the grace of God. So the unmerited favor of God is when you, when you get what you don't deserve. When things happen 
things happen for you that those on the outside looking in would call that unfair. But from heaven's eyes, is say, okay. And the grace of God is the ability to do something that you cannot do in your own natural strength. So you can only get so far. And then the grace of God picks up where you leave off, takes care of the rest. So it says we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. I'm already standing in in his grace, but I can also tap into the grace of God to accomplish some other things in my life. Access by faith into this grace in which I stand. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, look at verse 11. It says, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have what? And what? With what? It says, we have what? Boldness and access with confidence. 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 Does any of that sound like I'm unworthy? Boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. And look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4.16. When you have it, say, I have it. And what does it say? Let us therefore come how? boldly to where the throne of grace I have access to the throne of grace and I can approach the throne of grace boldly 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 it says what's the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need thank God for his mercy I thank God for his grace Because apparently there are going to be times when I need it. And guess what? You have access to it. You have direct access to it. All right? Thank God for the Old Testament. Type and shadow of things to come. But guess what? I don't have to approach the Holy of Holies and then stop right here and tell the priest what I need so he can go in for me. I don't have to do that anymore. Why? Because I'm a priest. See, the Lamb of God was also a priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. And he, the great high priest, made me a priest. So I don't have to find a priest to go into the Holy of Holies. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me. And I can approach the throne of grace with boldness and with confidence. I have access, direct access. See, that's what the children of God need to understand. Your purpose for coming to church is to be fed. 
All right, the Bible says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, which means there needs to be a time where we assemble together as lambs and sheep. We need to hear from the shepherd. But you don't put your faith in the shepherd. You, you don't move by what the shepherd says. You have to be moved by the word of God and what God's word says. And there are many things that Christians can do for themselves. They think that me laying my hands on you or me speaking to you is going to change it. But there's a willful decision that each and every one of us have to make. I can give you all the word. I can give you all the ammunition. But if you don't make the decision to use what you've been given, it's not going to benefit you. Now, thank God we have, you know, believing ones willing to lay hands on the sick. But remember, the prerequisite was a believing one. Which means what? One who believes. And technically, the person sitting next to you, if they're believing one, they can't lay hands on you. And you should recover. And if you're a believing one, you can lay hands on yourself. Now, that's not to, the, that's not to, to you know, to X out pastors laying hands on people. That should take place also. But we have to just make sure that we're, all our faith and, and all our trust and confidence is not in the person up there speaking behind the microphone. You don't have to go through me to get to God. You've got access. All right. Now, let us look at our right standing with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that I might become the righteousness of God. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 30. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, But of him you are in Christ, Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and what? Righteousness. And what? Sanctification. And what? Redemption. So in other words, because of Jesus, you are God's righteousness. Because of Jesus, you are sanctified. Because of Jesus, you are redeemed. Now, many Christians didn't know that there was a difference between righteousness and holiness. I used to figure it was the same thing, just synonyms. You know, righteousness, holiness, I mean, they both sound holy. They both sound good, so they must be the same thing. But there's a distinct difference. Look at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. All right, look at verse 73. Luke 1, 73. It says, The oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in what? 
and what? In holiness and righteousness. Okay, so they must be two different things. All right, look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. All right, Ephesians 4.20 says, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in what? True righteousness and holiness. All right, look at Romans chapter 6, 17th verse. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. Are you there? All right, it says, but, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members of, as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of what? Righteousness for what? Holiness. All right, so we see these words located in the same verse. Righteousness and holiness. Righteousness for holiness. What is the difference between righteousness and holiness? Righteousness is who you are. Holiness is how you live. Righteous, you don't live righteous. You are righteous. But because you're God's righteousness, here's the lifestyle that you should live. Holiness. There's the difference. As, as the righteousness of God, this is how I carry myself in this world. I live a lifestyle of holiness. Now, we also need to understand the distinct difference between sanctification and holiness. Why? Because they both mean set apart. Sanctification, sanctified, holiness, holy. They both mean set apart, but what's the distinct difference? Let's look at that. Turn to John chapter 17. John 17, 18, when you have it, say, I have it. All right, I want you to observe something. John 17, 18 says, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Watch this, verse 19. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. Who sanctifies himself? Jesus. Jesus sanctifies himself that they, what? Also may be sancti what? Sanctified. Sanctified by the truth. Sanctified, what are the last two letters? E-D, what tense is that? Past tense, all right. Look at Acts chapter 26. 
Verse 18. Acts 26, 18. Jesus is speaking. He says to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. Okay. So what did he say? He said they were once in darkness. But it's my desire to turn them from darkness to where? All right. He says, and from the power of who? To who? That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are what? Sanctified by faith in me. All right. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter one. We're going to look at the second verse. First Corinthians one, two says to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are what? Sanctified in Christ Jesus. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. All right. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. All right, now I told you we're looking at the distinct difference between sanctification and holiness. They both mean set apart. But what, what did we observe about sanctification? What are those last two letters? Okay, E-D, past tense. Notice we had nothing to do with the sanctifying. He sanctified us. Already been done, done deal. Jesus set us apart from the world. He sanctified us. So sanctify or sanctification like righteousness is something you immediately have when you step into the kingdom of God. So there's some things that you have as soon as you step in. You step into the kingdom, you're his righteousness. You, you're no longer trying to become redeemed. You're what? Redeemed. You're delivered. You're healed. You're blessed. You have the victory. These are the things that you have. So when you step into the body, you are sanctified. You're not trying to become sanctified. You are the sanctified. You are the set apart. Here's where holiness comes in. You're going to notice the difference between holiness and sanctification just by reading the verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Let us do something. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting what? Holiness. So apparently, holiness isn't something that has been done. What does it say? I'm perfecting it. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. First Thessalonians chapter 3. Look at the 12th verse. 
It says, and may the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 3.12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints, that he may establish our hearts blameless in holiness. Stay in the same book, look at chapter 4, look at the 7th verse. It says what? For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in what? But in holiness. All right, look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. And you'll see it here. First Timothy 2, are you there? All right, verse 15. It says, nevertheless, she will be saved. Now, the, the, there's a context here, but we can extract the principle out. It says, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they what? Continue in something, which means you don't just do it one time, do you? You must continue in it. Continue in what? Faith. Continue in what? Love. Continue in what? Holiness with self-control. Continue in holiness perfecting holiness so here's the deal God says I'm going to declare you righteous you ain't got nothing to do with this I am going to sanctify you I am going to set you apart from the world now it is up to you to live a lifestyle that displays that sanctification in other words you must live a lifestyle so you can show them that you've been set apart so holiness is that set-apart lifestyle that I continue in all the days of my life. Set apart. How will the world know I belong to him? What, just by telling them you're sanctified? It don't register with them. You can't just go to a believer and say, hey, I'm righteous. What does that mean to them? So how will they know that you're who you say you are? You say I'm set apart? Show the world that you're set apart. Live that lifestyle, continuing, perfecting holiness. That lifestyle of holiness. It's a lifestyle, something that we do all the time. And because that lifestyle that we're not living, that's why certain things don't happen in our lives. That's why certain prayers aren't answered. Well, not certain, prayers aren't answered. Right? You can't be in sin and faith. Whatever is not of faith is what? Sin comes, guilt and condemnation. Faith is assurance and confidence. They don't go together. So the people that have been called to walk by faith and live by faith. All right. Let's now, for the sake of time, time just really gets away from us. Turn to Hebrews 11.1. 1. We've, we've discussed quite a few things about faith. We understand you know, who we are in Christ and what the scripture says about me. I receive that by faith for it to be life to me. But let's look at Hebrews 11.1 1, because, you know, Hebrews 11.1 1, 
is where most people go to find that definition of faith, yet they really don't even know what they're reading. Because, you know, if we're to live by faith and you regurgitate Hebrews 11.1, 1, well, that's great that you know that verse, but do you understand it? Will you know how to apply it to your life? How many of you know that faith has a time? Show of hands. Faith has a time. Do you know when that time is? <laughs> when is it? It's tomorrow. Yesterday. No, faith is what? Right? Okay, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is. It says, now faith is. Let's forget about what faith is and observe that now faith is. Before we continue on with what faith is, we must first notice that now faith is. So even though faith is the substance, now faith is. All right, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The verse just said that faith is substance and evidence. Now, I know you know what substance is, and I know you know what evidence is, and the Bible just said that's what faith is. Faith is the key that operates everything in the kingdom of God. Faith is present tense. It is always now. Faith is present tense. It is always now. Because the God we serve is a now God. He has no yesterday. He has no tomorrow. God lives in one big eternal now. Faith is present tense. It is always now. If faith is not now, it is not faith. If faith is not now, it is not faith. It will not work. The system won't compute. See, people have this misguided idea and perception of God that he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Now, that's not a blasphemous statement. You must understand God to understand what I just said. In regards to God's ability, sure, he can do whatever he wants. I think we all know that God is able to do anything because he has all ability. But you can go from Genesis to Revelation and look at God and see that God didn't do whatever he wanted whenever he wanted. You think God couldn't have figured out some way to get the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage? Why would he need Moses? He's God, isn't he? All right, he can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. See, I hear a lot of people say that, especially people that don't understand the faith message. God can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. Who are you to, 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 to limit God? We're not limiting God. He limited himself by his word, by what comes out of his mouth. You think God needed Moses because he wasn't God enough? You don't think he could just snatch up the children and just place them over in the promised land? But for some reason, it just didn't work like that, did it? As a matter of fact, if we went back to Exodus, 
Moses didn't even respond the first time. He came up with every possible excuse to get out of this, and God just stayed with him and kept working with him. You know God doesn't do whatever he wants. You think he couldn't stop the boy from eating the fruit? And he just sat there and he just watched it happen. Like, why is he doing that? Don't do that, Adam. You think he wanted mankind to be dropped right into sin? You think he wanted mankind and the dominion of this earth to be handed right over to the devil? He didn't want that, but he watched it happen, didn't he? And he watched Moses, and he gave Moses instructions. He said, all right, Aaron's going to be your mouthpiece. Took him to Pharaoh. Went through these disputes and ten plagues and part in the Red Sea. You think God needed to do all of that to be God? But all of that happened to get them children out of Egyptian bondage. Sure, God is able to do whatever he wants whenever he wants, but he doesn't do whatever he wants whenever he wants because he first said something. And when God opened his mouth, he bound himself by his own word. So now, because he set up a system with his mouth, he can't violate it or else he's not God. So God operates by a system. So people say, well, God don't need any faith. It's not about what God doesn't need. It's not about what God can or it's, it's about what he put in place. All right, so he put something in place. He put something in place. You know word is important because he put something in place when he said, let there be light. So now God said, I will frame the world around me using the words that come out of my mouth. And I'm going to make man to be like me. Therefore, if man desires to see a particular kind of world around them, they better speak that into existence. Because you've been made like him. And God is a now God. Faith is now. God didn't say, tomorrow let there be light. No, right now, let there be light. Guess what showed up? Light. Okay. So faith is always present tense. It's always now. If it's not now, it's not faith. And it doesn't work. Just like with the prayer of faith. People wonder, well, I guess it wasn't God's will for me to have that. What you prayed for. But see, when you pray wrong, then what you're praying for won't happen. But we've, 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 we've taught ourselves to put that off on God. I can't tell you how many people I know, especially when it comes to this getting in agreement thing, husbands and wives getting into agreement about the child they want to have, son or daughter. They believe God for a son and a daughter shows up. Guess it was God's will. Just put it right off on God. Like your prayers came up to heaven. He just slapped them out the way because it's about his will. God's will is right here in his word. See, there are some things that must come out of your mouth to get something started. And once you get that started, there needs to be some things you don't allow out of your mouth to diffuse what you started. Because when you let that doubt, and see, we don't, some of us don't realize we're in doubt. But I told you about those dangerous words like if and but. 
You're canceling out the petition. Now he said, whatever things you ask, when you pray, what? Believe you receive them and you'll have them. All right, so let me read it one more time. He says, whatever things you, you what? When what? Well, when do you pray? You sure about that? Yeah, yeah, you're right. You pray now. Anytime you pray is right now. Tomorrow when you pray, it'll be now. So he says, whatever things you ask, when? When what? When you pray. Believe you receive them when? When you pray. And when do you pray? Now. He says what? You have them. He says you'll have them. Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them and you'll have them. He said you'd have them. He said the thing you ask for when you pray, believe you receive that. If you believe you receive what you ask for, he said you'll have it. So that one particular thing that I pray for, if I truly pray the prayer of faith, if I ask for that one thing and believe I receive that one thing when I pray, which is now, he said, I will have it. So if I pray for that same thing again, I canceled out the first prayer because obviously I didn't believe I received what I asked for when I prayed. Then when you tack on it, if it be thy will, You can't pray the prayer of faith and then pray if it be thy will. So people don't, they just think prayer is just one general thing. No, there's different kinds of prayers. There's a time to intercede and pray in the spirit. And there's a time to pray the prayer of consecration and dedication like Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not by will, but yours be done. But when it comes to the prayer of faith, Right, this is the confidence that we have when we pray. We know he hears us. We know we have the petitions that we've prayed. So when I pray the prayer of faith, I can't tack on that if it be thy will when it is his will. Don't ever ask God to do something he's already done. Don't say if it be thy will when it is his will. It won't come to pass and it's not God's fault. There's so many things that take place in the world. It's not God's fault. But when you don't understand how the, the rules are and how the system works, then chaos takes place. And we just think, you know, just act of God or God's will or whatever. This must, must have been what he really wanted to accomplish. It's not the case. He sent his word. He said, use the word. So faith is now. Now faith is. He says faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is what? The substance of things what? Hope for. So it shouldn't end at hope. Faith apparently seems to be on the other end of hope. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, which means the goal setter or starting point is what? Hope. But the end result should be faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. What substance? Do you know what substance is? What is substance? What is substance? 
Isn't it something that you can contact with your senses? Isn't that what substance is? Like something that that's tangible, something that I can touch, see, taste, smell, hear. And the Bible says faith is that. Substance is that which can be contacted with your senses. Hope by itself has no substance. We know that because the scripture says faith is the substance of things hoped for. So hope alone, standing alone, has no substance. Hope is that starting point. Hope is that goal setter. We should have hope, but we shouldn't start at hope. And never go hope, faith, and back to hope. You know, it messed up. Hope by itself has no substance. Hope is a goal setter. Hope sets the goal. Faith goes and gets it. All right, then it says, now faith is something that things hope for. It's also what? The evidence of things not seen. What is evidence? Proof. But what's proof? Okay. Evidence or proof validates the existence of something you don't presently have. You don't have it, you got proof of it, but you don't have it. You say, you say, you've, you say you've seen something someone else hasn't seen and they say, prove it. You gotta have some evidence or some proof. Evidence or proof validates the existence of something you don't presently have. Evidence takes the place of the thing that it is the evidence of until the thing arrives on the scene. Then there's no more need for evidence. There it is. I don't know if that went well. So let's try again. I'll just, you know, I won't even try to think of something new. I'll use an example that my father used. You should be able to see this. Archaeologists have found dinosaur bones, have they not? So what are bones? Evidence that what? That the creature existed. So they don't have the creature, do they? But they got some evidence. Now, if the dinosaur were to show up, I no longer need these bones. I don't need the evidence. I don't need the proof of it anymore because there it is. Do you see that? So evidence or proof validates the existence of something you don't presently have. So your faith is the evidence of something you don't presently have. But you say you have it, you speak life. If somebody were to ask you, prove it, show them your faith. Because that's what it is. Faith is evidence. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Because if you saw it, you wouldn't need any faith. See, that's the thing about faith. You know, there's going to be a time we don't need it anymore, any longer. When I'm living in New Jerusalem on this regenerated earth in the presence of God, I don't need faith. God's right there sitting on the throne. But until such time, 
while he's in the third heaven and I'm here in this earthly realm. I must know faith and understand faith and walk by faith and live by faith. All right, how can any of you prove that God exists? How can you prove it? All you got is your faith. You, you, can't, you can't literally show somebody God. You've got to tell them a testimony. You've got to show them some things in your life that he's done for you. Because you can't just grab God by the hand and show them. They can't see God. The most God that they can see is the God in you. Yet every single person in this room, I guarantee you, you would fight with me if I tried to prove to you God doesn't exist. Because for some reason, you're all fully convinced that he exists and you're fully convinced that he's real. So what do you call that? See, that's faith. That's faith. That the stuff that doesn't make sense, you live by it. And you're, 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 you, you don't breathe without it. You don't, you don't do anything without it. You, you don't make that next move without consulting the Holy Spirit, even though you, you can't see him. But you know that he's real. You're fully convinced that he hears you and you hear from him. That's faith. Not just belief, but faith. Why is it faith? Because there are corresponding actions with what you believe. Thanks for listening. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.